going to do um, Hebrews 11 tonight, and then uh, Hebrews 12 next Sunday uh, night, and then uh, next Wednesday we'll finish the book of Hebrews. And so uh, it, it seems like kind of a um, fast-paced Bible study that we've done. Typically, I uh, do like to take a little more time to spend a little more time in, in shorter sections of the Scripture, um, you know, breaking each chapter down a little deeper. But, but at the same time, it's kind of nice to go through um, a book at the pace we've been going through. I uh, wanted to just, um, you know, just, uh, again, the, the main theme of the book of Hebrews, I think, um, if I had to boil it down to, to just one main theme, I, I would say it's it's the supremacy of Christ, that, that Christ is better and more superior and he's preeminent. He comes before uh, everything else. And so, uh, and, and then there's this notion of this change that takes place between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or, or the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, or as the writer of Hebrews brings out, um, there was Moses and the law that God gave Moses, and, and now we're in grace with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think if we're not careful, and, and Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, who I, I really want to brag on a lot and just let, say how intricate the uh, the languages that, that he uses and uh, the writing style that, that he delivers the message with is just um, just beautiful and uh, really in-depth writing. Um, but, but in chapter 11, he, it's a very important topic that he addresses, and it's this issue of faith. Now, I think sometimes we just talk about faith in general where we, uh, we say things like, boy, you, you know, I, I'm praying I have faith that God will, will do this. I, I think what the writer of Hebrews is addressing in this chapter is not just that people had faith, uh, but he explains to us, one, what is faith? So he defines faith for us. Uh, two, he, he gives us examples of faith in the Old Testament. Uh, but the third thing I think is most important in this chapter that, that I believe it points out very clearly is that um, even in the Old Testament, people were saved by faith, right, and through the grace of God. So it, it wasn't like people in the Old Testament... Um, Faith was not a requirement for them. It required faith for them to be saved. It, it required faith for them to please God. And so what we find in Hebrews chapter 11 is the writer explaining their faith and then saying essentially to the New Testament believer that the faith that's required of the New Testament believer is essentially the same faith that was required of the Old Testament believer. We have an advantage uh in the New Testament and living in the times we do, where we can look back and we can see the evidence of our faith. We, we look back at the life of Christ and we see the life of Christ. We see the death, the burial, the resurrection, all the evidence that there is for it. Um, and then by faith, we, we, uh, we believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he, he was perfect, the perfect lamb, uh, without any spot or blemish. He died on the cross. He, he rose again. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father which Hebrews talks all, all about. We believe all those things by faith, but we have this um, advantage of hindsight to be able to look back and to test the events. And we can even look back at uh, historical, uh, the writings of, of many cultures and addressing Jesus in this time period. And so we just, we have the a large advantage of looking back, I guess is what I want to say. We can look back to the life of Christ. And, and so we're to have faith in Christ coming from hindsight. 
And our faith is not only in what Christ has already accomplished, our faith is in what else Christ will do. And so we're looking forward to something that hasn't happened yet, which is the essence of the definition of faith is that we're believing in something, we're putting our faith and trust in something that we haven't seen yet. And so it's the things that are hoped for, but the things that have yet to be seen. Uh, we see the faith in the Old Testament of uh, go all the way back to uh, to Adam, to Eve, to Cain and Abel, and begin working your way through uh, this hall of faith, so to speak, in chapter 11 of, of uh, the book of Hebrews. And what you find is that they didn't have the hindsight that we have, but they had the foresight, right? Their faith was this looking ahead to the promise that God had made. And so as we, we think about faith in the Old Testament, it's a foresight. It's it's looking forth and, and believing in what God's going to do in the future. And so as the writer of Hebrews is talking about the faith of the, the these looming characters in the Old Testament, uh, the, the just extraordinary faith that they had, it was a forthcoming in uh, a, a foreseeing of what God was going to do, where our faith is a little bit different in the essence that we can look back and it's it's this looking with hindsight to what Christ has done, but then looking ahead to what Christ has promised to continue to do. And so I, I pray that just the, these few um, moments to kind of address this issue of faith uh, will we'll help the study tonight. Will help us as we go through these verses. It, it, it is a kind of a particularly long chapter in in the book of Hebrews, and I think it's it's an essential book. And the writer, you know, he begins to write, and it's like his desire was to begin at the beginning to discuss the faith um, of these people in, in our uh, spiritual family, the line. And he gets to a certain point where he just realizes. Boy, I could go on writing about it. He just lists all these names of people he could continue writing about, uh, that they were demonstrations of faith and examples of faith. And so tonight we're looking at living by faith. We're looking at this hall of faith from Old Testament believers. And so we're in Hebrews chapter 11. I uh, hope you've turned there. And we're just going to get started. I just want to walk through the chapter. So I'm just going to go kind of verse by verse. I'll walk our way through the chapter and uh, and see uh, where we end up. So verse 11 begins by defining what faith is. And the writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. In the Old Testament, this is especially true. right? So calling um, Abraham out of his um, the place that his family lives in this home and saying, go to a place that I'll, I'll show you later. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And through your family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Um, so this is that faith is Abraham going and walking out, hoping in something, believing in something, trusting in something that he hasn't seen yet. Right, If it's there in front of you and you can physically touch it, you've already seen it happen, it requires no faith. And so faith is this action that we take of stepping out and believing and hoping for that which uh, we don't have the proof of yet, but, but we have God's word on. Uh, verse 2 says, For by it our ancestors won God's approval. And so now the right of Hebrews is going to transition. He's defined faith, and now he's going to tell us uh, a list of examples who were... Um, epitomes of what faith should look like in the life of a believer. And so in verse 3, he begins by saying, By faith we understand 
that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 to where in the beginning there was nothing, right? And then God spoke, and God is this creator God who spoke everything into being out of nothing. We accept that by faith. We understand how this world was created, and we understand how the cosmos were created. They were created by the word of God. We didn't see it, right? No, we, we weren't there to see this when it happened, but God's told us in his word, this is what he did. And, and essentially, we look to the stars now, and we, we wonder in all the majesty of God, but we, we're not confused. Now, listen, we may not know all the physics that go on in the dynamics of, of the universe, but we know how those dynamics came into effect, and that is God spoke them into effect. And so the gravitational pull of the moon on the earth and the earth on the moon and the earth with the sun, all those things are true. I don't have to know all those things. I just know that God created the universe the way that it exists uh, for a purpose and a reason. And so uh, it's by faith that we accept that. I, I, don't need a, I don't need a bunch of scientific evidence, although I think the more scientific evidence we find points us closer and more to a, uh, to a creator uh, than just random acts of a universe. Um, but I just trust God's word, right? It's not something I've seen. It's not something that, that I can put my hand on. I wasn't there when God created the universe, yet by faith, I know he did. Uh, verse 4 begins to get into examples of those who live by faith in the Old Testament. Uh, why is this important? Again, let me just remind why why this is so important is many times people fail to see that in the Old Testament, believers, those who were chosen by God, um, they were saved, delivered, in right relationship, fellowship with God through faith. Now, a lot of times we're taught, or what seems to, to come out of our conversation about Scripture and reading the Old Testament, is that these people were saved under the law, and so that they were saved by keeping the law, when what the writer of Hebrews is saying is it, was, no, it wasn't the keeping of the law that saved them, it was faith in God and trust in God that saved them. And so he's going to list all these examples from the Old Testament. He begins with, with Abel. He says, for by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Uh, verse 5 is a, one that I love, particularly one of the characters I think that uh, we, we have very little of in Scripture. We've got a lot of um, extra-biblical sources, some writings of Jewish people way back in the Old Testament times that talk a lot about the life of Enoch. But in Scripture itself, we have very little. Uh, this man who was just, um, his life was dominated by faith. Uh, verse 5 says, By faith, Enoch, who was taken away so that he did not experience death, he was not to be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, this is important. You want, might want to underline this. So all of those in the Old Testament that God approved of, that we see that God um, declared to them that they were good, faithful servants, it's impossible to please God without faith, which means that the lives of these men and women in the Old Testament that God has approved of their life and the way they live, the only way God approves of the life we're living if if we are living by faith. 
because the writer of Hebrews here, um, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it very clear that it's impossible to please God without faith. And so the way we live life um, and the way we bring glory to God and the way that we give a foundation to our belief is it all has to be based in faith. As we live a life of faith, uh, it's possible then that we can live a life pleasing to God when we put our faith and our trust in God as our one and only source, as um, as our hope, our joy, our peace, our love. Uh, Christ is all, and uh, for those who have Christ, it, it's Christ alone and nothing else, right? Just the same way that it's God's word alone and, and nothing else uh, that drives our faith. And so, uh, so verse 6, a, a very important verse, um, just coming off of Enoch, though, um, so scriptures, uh, I, I think it's kind of vague on, on Enoch. There's not large chapters uh, in our scripture, um, in God's word, that do a lot with Enoch. We, we see him in kind of the table of nations uh, leading up to Noah. So um, uh, Enoch would have been, I guess, Noah's great-grandfather. Uh, Methuselah would have been his grandfather. Uh, the Bible says Enoch uh, had Methuselah, and then after he had Methuselah, he started walking with God. Uh, we know that he preached judgment, that he was preaching repent because the judgment of God is coming. Uh, he names Methu- his son Methuselah, which literally means something in the essence of uh, when he dies, it'll come. Uh, maybe something to do with the uh, deluge, a flood. So the name Methuselah means to refer to the flood. And by the way, it, when we look at years in Scripture, we find out that the year Methuselah died actually is the year that the flood takes place. Um, and so Enoch is preaching and warning the people that they need uh, to put their faith and trust in God. And so warning them to repent and turn back uh, to God. Uh, so Enoch is a, a wonderful character. Uh, there are some books in the Pseudepigrapha. Um, and Pseudepigrapha, it's just wonderful books that were written um, by Jewish writers mostly, um, and they are books that did not make Scripture. They're not part of the Old Testament. They're, they're not part of the New Testament. Um, they are. We don't consider them to be inspired or infallible like we do the Scriptures. Um, but it would be like uh, books, like books written about men and women today. Uh, but written years after they lived. Um, so typically these books are written somewhere between uh, the 3rd century uh, before Christ and uh, in the 1st century. Uh, so somewhere um, typically between, say, 300 um, B.C. And, uh, and A.D. 70 would be, I think, a pretty good point. Uh, but there, So there's three books. There's the book of 1st Enoch, 2nd Enoch, 3rd Enoch. None of these were written entirely by the same person. But what they are composed of is the way the Jewish people um, felt uh, about Enoch. That It's stories that they believed about Enoch. And it tells about his life and his ministry and, and uh, visions that God gave him of heaven. Uh, and so even though we don't hold the pseudepigrapha up to the level of Scripture, which we shouldn't, it's just interesting to read what the Jewish people felt in Jesus' day and what they believed about Enoch. And Enoch was a very important character um, to the Israelites, to the Hebrews. Um, then the writer of Hebrews here particularly says that Enoch was, uh, it was by faith that God took him and he did not even experience death. 
Um, and, and then six, I don't want to uh, move away from that too fast. That it, Without faith, it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And, and so the very act of seeking God is an act of faith. All right, that, so Hebrews 6 makes it very clear. It, the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. So this is putting your faith in the existence of God. If you're going to draw near to him, if you're going to believe in him, then it requires you to believe he exists, and then that he rewards those who seek him, that through repentance you might come to relationship with him. Uh, verse 7, we start getting now kind of quickly into the Old Testament um, heroes of our faith. Uh, so verse 7, it talks about Noah by faith. Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And, and so we, we understand this story is it's God's redemption. It's God. Uh, first, he looks on mankind and, and sees only evil. And, and his first inclination, if God if we can ascribe that to to God, who uh, maybe doesn't have inclinations, he just thinks. Um, but but we see the first reaction that Scripture paints of God is that he wants to destroy mankind, that mankind's become so evil, so faithless, um, that they, they are creating new ways to, to rebel against God. Noah comes along, finds favor in the sight of God, by faith, Noah believes that even though it's never rained, according to Scripture, that there's going to come a flood. And so by faith, he begins to build an ark. Uh, by faith, he begins to preach the gospel just like his great-grandfather Enoch did. So he builds an ark, and by faith, even though the world was condemned through the flood, Noah, because of his faith and his righteousness toward God, was spared. The, Noah was God's second attempt at trying to have relationship with men. The first attempt, right, was when he creates Adam and Eve in the garden. This is God's initial attempt to be in right relationship with men. And then his second attempt is he's going to, through the line of Noah, going to attempt again to have right relationship with human beings. And so, no, Noah's not perfect. Noah is saved by, by literally by his faith. He trusts God, gets in the ark, builds the ark first. And so we see salvation comes through trusting God's word by having faith. And so now there's this one family, this family that God looks upon and finds favor in them and that they are righteous and his desires that through this family, he might have relationship with humanity again in right relationship. The bad thing is that it only takes a few verses for us to find out that Noah fails. And how does Noah fail? Noah uh, finds himself drunk from a vineyard that he's planted. And his son, Canaan, uh, makes fun of his dad, right? Laughs at his dad and his dad's drunkenness where the other two sons, um, well, Canaan is, is the grandson. I'm sorry, that's, that's cursed because of his father's. Um, uh, laughing at Noah. Um, but it doesn't take very long to where we find sin showing up again. And where there's sin, the only way that we can um, please God is through faith. And, uh, and as I look at the world around us uh, and the sinfulness and the, the worldliness in almost everything now, right? Even, even so I'm 42. And so some of you who are watching 
uh, or who will watch this think, well, he's just a baby. And then others of you watch this think, I'm an old man. But I'm 42. And in my life over the past 42 years, I've seen things transpire in this world that I never would have thought I would ever see in my lifetime. And literally, my children are growing up in a world that is completely different than the world that I grew up in. It doesn't look anything like it. Um, and, and so I look at the world around us and I see how the world is drifting further and further and further away from a right relationship with God. And, and the necessity, therefore, for Christians to really live a life of faith because not only does it please God, not only does it bring glory to the name of God, but it's through our faith and trust in God that the gospel is spread and that people come to relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. And so our faith does several things. It's, it's not only self-serving. So, I, so we're, we're not looking to... Uh, a self-serving faith would say something like this. Well, if I believe in God and I'm and I'm right, I get to go to heaven. If I'm wrong, I don't have to go to hell. Or looks and says, if there is no God, um, then I die and it's over. And, and Pas this is called Pascal's wager. And some people will say, oh, well, I lose more. I, I need to believe in God because if he really does exist, then there's a consequence for my life. Well, that's not saving faith, right? That That's self-serving faith. And many people have a self-serving faith when it comes to God. Uh, when I need something, uh, all of a sudden my faith, I try to muster up my, the faith because I need something from God. When, when life's kind of uh, crashing down on me, when, when circumstances are, are difficult, all of a sudden my faith becomes real. My prayer life gets really good, really quick. And that's a self-serving faith. That's not the kind of faith that Noah had. It's not the kind of faith that Enoch walked with and had. And, and so we must have a faith that is glorifying to God, right? And then it becomes a testimony to other people when they see our walk of faith. Um, yeah, so we look at Noah and we see this great godly man who feared God enough that when God said, build an ark, it's going to rain. Noah believed that a flood was going to come. And so we have we have warnings all through Scripture um, about how how God desires for us to listen. God God he could have made us perfect if he wanted. He's God, but we're fallible. We're not God, and so we're imperfect. And God created us to walk in relationship with Him, and the only way we can walk in right relationship and fellowship with God is through a relationship based on faith on our part through grace on his part. And so he's provided the way, and now I, all I have to do is have faith in him, right, to trust him, to believe in him, and then he gives the grace. And so the grace I've received comes from God. It's the only way I'm saved, and yet I'm also saved in faith, right, in that I trust in what God said. And so now my faith is in the word of God. And so uh, in the New Testament, God revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died the perfect death. He was the perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world. 
And so if I put my faith and trust in Jesus and the finished work he did on the cross, which doesn't mean I just say, yeah, I want to be saved because I don't want to go to hell. Now, I want to be saved because Jesus Christ came and lived and died that I could have relationship with God. And this relationship with God is what spurs me on and, and drives me and motivates me to have this right relationship with him. So faith is, is essence, is the essence of really pleasing God. It's where, where it begins. And so God's much more pleased when a person demonstrates faith than he is when they produce some kind of great work. Okay, so God desires humility and, and faith and trust. Uh, it goes on. So after Noah, of course, we have Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was not going to receive his inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And so here's the key. Here's the essence of, of faith. You'll remember the definition in Hebrews 11 verse 1 is that, that faith is the reality of what's hoped for, um, the proof of what has not been seen. And so Abraham sets out based on this promise from God, even though he knows he's going to live in a land that he will not inherit, but that his descendants will inherit. And Abraham just sets out, trusting God, having faith in God, just depending on God for every um, every resource, every need that he's going to have. For he was looking to build a city that the foundations, his architect and builder, was God. Uh, so Abraham's faith, trust, goal was not in something built by man, but the essence of the faith of Abraham was he was looking for something that was built by God. Something not built by human hands, right? Something you, you can't feel, something you can't touch, something that you can't look at, and therefore your, your faith has proof. But having faith and trust in even those things we can't see, we can't touch, we, we can't feel physically. Verse uh, 10, um, good verse. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have a child, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, uh, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of the sand along the seashore. These all died in faith although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they, they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they are thinking about where they come from, they would have an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so essentially what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that when we look back on these giants of the faith in the Old Testament, when we look back on these men and women who trusted completely in God, and, and of course the, he's going to list a few more, but it's still not an exhaustive list. All these people... And what about the men and the women in our lives that influenced us uh, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, if it weren't for the investment they had made in our lives and 
to the gospel, where would we be today? All these people were seeking the same place, seeking the same reward as those of the Old Testament, and that is to inherit a city not made by hands, to know that, to realize we're not citizens of this world, right? We're citizens of a, a heavenly world. Uh, the reality is, is what is to come. It's the heavenly, it's the spiritual, right? Everything we see here now, they're just shadows of reality that is to come. All right, this is just this journey we're on now is just setting the stage for eternity for us, and, and this is what these Old Testament characters. I hate to use the, the term character because I don't want anybody to seem like that they're made up um, characters. They're real people. These things really happened in their life. But but what's amazing is that they weren't looking for temporary solutions. They were looking ahead to what God would provide for them that was not made with human hands. And sometimes I think we just get so tied up in um, material things and earthly things and, and, and present things that we fail and we miss out on the, the heavenly things and the things that are yet to come and the things that aren't made with human hands, but that which has been made with God's hand, the city that is coming, right? We're looking forward to a time when the Lord returns, when there's a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, when we when all things are made new in the way that God intended them to be from the very beginning. That's what we ought to be looking for, right? Enjoying every day and the many blessings that God's given us. I mean, Sonia and I, we have five kids. Uh, Sarah, this is her last year of high school. She's going to be going off to Clemson next year uh, if everything goes according to her plans. You know, we've got one more year with her being in the home uh, before she's moved out to spend a year at school. Uh, all the way down to Isaac, who... Um, who's four and starting 4K this year. And um, so enjoy, we are to enjoy our families and to love our families, to enjoy our life and to invest into the lives of those God's placed around us. But our ultimate reality, our ultimate destination, and the ultimate thing we're living for are, are things that are of eternal significance and value. It, it is the heavenly realities that we're looking forward to. Um yeah, so that that's uh, maybe just a little sidebar. Um, verse 16, it said, But now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And I just wonder, if they weren't looking toward this better place, if the Old Testament uh, faith heroes, if they weren't looking forward to this better place that God was preparing for them in, in relationship with him, would God have been pleased to call them his own? Because what scripture said is, since they were looking for a better place, a heavenly one, it pleased God, right? That God was not ashamed to call them his own. So what if we live in this life and we're not looking toward a better place? Our goal is not the better place. Our goal is not the things made uh, for eternal purposes. What if our goals, what if we get sidetracked about the earthly things? What if we invest all of our time and all of our money and all of our energy into temporary things? Uh, then what does Scripture say about that? Uh, well, according to Scripture, God, it's impossible to please God without faith. I, I would say it's impossible to live a life uh, of self-gain, uh, of prosperity-type gospel stuff, of just taking care of me and my own. If you really have faith and trust the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, I submit to you it's impossible to live that kind of a selfish lifestyle. 
And, and so in that sense, it it's impossible to please God without faith because a life lived without place, faith is a self-serving life. And what, what we've been called to do is love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and to love others as ourselves, to, to love our neighbors and to even love our enemies. And to those who speak... Uh, lies and and even revile you know against us to others that we're to love them and to pray for them this this is the this is a life of faith right of praying for someone who has made themselves an enemy to you maybe you have done nothing wrong but there's just some person at work that that seems they're out to get you every time um that you go in you just know that they're going to have something negative to say that's the person that we ought to be praying for the most, and loving on the most. That This is not a self-serving life we've been called to. What we've been called to is a God-glorifying life. And so my life ought to glorify God. Um, we'll move on. Uh, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had all been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Uh, what's this? Abraham had so much faith in the word of God that God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you an heir. And through him, we're going to, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars and the sand on the seashore. And, uh, and they're going to bless every nation. Uh, through your descendants, all nations will be blessed. So now Abraham, with his son Isaac, has been commanded by God to take him up on a hill, right? Uh, think about Isaac carrying the wood that is going to be used to build the altar that he's going to be sacrificed on. It, it's a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ carrying his own cross up the hill. He's going to be crucified upon and we, we, we realize that these two places are almost in the exact same geographic location where, the, where Abraham takes Isaac to be sacrificed and where the Lord Jesus Christ is crucified. But here's, here's the kicker. Here's the gist of what the writer's saying. That Abraham had such faith that because God told him Isaac would be his descendant that through him the, the nations would be blessed, that through him there would be descendants as numerous as the stars. God, Abraham knew this. Either God would have to stop him short of killing Isaac, of sacrificing him, or if he sacrificed Isaac, God would have to raise him from the dead because Isaac had to be alive to have children who were going to have more children so that the descendants of Abraham would be as numerous as the stars. Now, now friends, this is a big faith Abraham has. He trusts God's word so much that he, he understands, even if I kill my son, I sacrifice him in, in the name of God, that God has to raise him from the dead, and he's going to come back down the mountain with me because it's through him that my descendants are going to come from. And now I just wonder if we think about our own life, how much do we really trust the word of God? I mean, it's not comical. It's not funny in the sense that I'm laughing, but I'm just thinking, do, would I have that kind of faith? That, that I could trust God's word so much that even in the seemingly in the face of the very opposite that seems to be what God's told me in his word, that if it comes from God, God says it, that I know that I can trust and depend on his word to be absolute truth. 
Is that the kind of faith we have? That's, that's the kind of faith that, according to the writer of Hebrews, that this is the kind of faith that allows you to please God because it, without this faith, it's impossible to please God. So, so are we sitting around doing nothing for the kingdom of God because we don't feel like God wants to use us or can use us, or do we have such a faith that we understand that God can use anybody to do anything, and he's usually more interested in using people who are unqualified to do whatever it is he's going to call them to do. I mean, he calls Moses to go be a spokesperson. Moses stutters. He calls Abraham to be a man through which uh, this religion, this monotheistic re- religion where Abraham believes in one God, he calls a man out of a polytheistic place, right? So Abraham's father worshiped many gods. And, and so the one true God calls Abraham away from the place where they believe in many gods to be the man who will be the example to the world that there's only one true God. Now, all through Scripture, we see God using people. He uses Gideon, right? And Gideon says, I am, the, I am the lowest member of my family, and my family is one of the least of the nation. And yet that's the guy that God uses to lead the nation of Israel through great victory. And so what is it that God has in store for you? What is it God has planned for you? Because with faith, anything's possible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. By faith, in verse 20, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and um, and he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, who was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of, to, of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his own bones. Just remember that Jacob said, hey, when y'all leave Egypt, Take my bones with you so that I, my, I might be buried with my forefathers, might be buried with my descendants in the land that God had promised. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they did not fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. So the Bible says, by faith, Moses looks. He's got two options. He's been raised in, in the Pharaoh's home, in the palace of Pharaoh's, received all the education, been raised like a prince of Egypt. And he, and he has this choice now to make. Right, because he's loved by the Pharaoh's family. He he was raised with the Pharaoh that he comes back to to demand him to let God's people go. And Moses has the choice. He can live this life of temporary luxury in, in Pharaoh's palace, or he can identify with the people uh, of his heritage. His parents were Hebrew slaves. And he can uh, put his faith and his trust in eternal things and and doing the will of God in his life as opposed to um, simply going for the easy life. And I wonder how many Christians get caught up in a trap of the enjoyment of the instant gratifications that we can find, right? We just 
We want to feel good right now. We don't want to wait for anything. We want everything on our timetable and, and on our schedule. We want everything to come easy. And not, listen, I'm, I'm not. It may seem like I'm saying we ought to want to suffer. I'm not. I'm not saying we should want to suffer. That, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that our goals and our desires and what we're looking forward to are things that are beyond this world. They're bigger than the temporary things of this world. They're eternal and they're made by God's hands, not by the hands of man. An easy decision for Moses to make. Verse 27 says, By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. And of course, if you know the story of Moses uh, in, in Egypt, and the last plague is going to be the death of the firstborn son. And so what do they do? They put the blood around the doorpost so that when the death angel comes through, he sees the blood of an innocent lamb and, uh, and the death angel passes over. The same is true in our life. By faith, we, we accept that we need to be covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ so that when we stand in judgment, that rather than seeing our guilty blood because we're not perfect, the innocent blood of Jesus is seen and we are declared just and right and faithful servants of God, uh, inheriting eternity with him in heaven uh, here on the new earth with the Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. Uh, it goes on, uh, verse 29, by faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and did not perish with those who disobeyed. I just think one of the most wonderful... Um, I love Matthew chapter 1. You, you, when you go to Matthew chapter 1, you're going to get a genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of these same names are going to come up in that genealogy. And one of the things that you find is in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are four women that are named in Matthew's uh, genealogy. Uh, of course, Rahab is one. I think these these women that are mentioned would have been downcast and outcast by the people of this day before um, before God makes relationship. Um, through Abraham and his descendants. Um, so God was the first one for equal rights, right? I mean, God is the one who, who established those things. Uh, God looks down and, and uh, uses a prostitute named Rahab to be a part of the genealogy of his son, Jesus. He take Ruth, for instance, who is a, a Moabite woman. She's, she's, she's not even... Uh, part of the Hebrew tribe, and yet Ruth comes in, and she becomes a descendant, right? A great, 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 I don't know how many times great, grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we look at T Tamar, who uh, uh, tr after her husband dies, tricks her father-in-law by, she poses as a prostitute, 
and she keeps his cane, has, uh, is pregnant, and this is the lady that's in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't look to use people who are well qualified for what he's calling them to do. God takes unqualified people and qualifies to, to do the impossible for them to do. Why does God do that? Because he receives all the glory and all the honor. And so when God asks us to do things, typically they're going to be things that are impossible for us to do on our own. And why is that essential? And why is that so important? Because God's the one who receives all the glory and honor for it. So we need to begin all right, we need to be looking at our life and saying, God, what is it you desire me? What do you want to do in my life? And God, because you're the one uh, who has the ability to qualify the unqualified. Right, that's me. I, I am an unqualified person that God is continually qualifying to do his work. Um, we just continue on. Um, um, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Uh, by faith, Jacob, who's dying, uh, let's see, let's get back to Rahab. Uh, verse 31, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and did not perish with those who disobeyed. Uh, and what more can I say? I, I like this. The writer of Hebrews just kind of stops for a second and basically says, do I, need to, do I need to keep going? I mean, what more can I say to you to explain the importance of faith? Right, so he started all the way back at creation. He's gone to Cain and Abel, right? He's went to Enoch. He's went to Noah, to Abraham. He's worked his way through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And uh, then he went to Moses, right? Then to uh, Rahab, who's in Jericho. Um, and he just stops for a minute in, in verse 32. And he just says, what more can I say? Right? Time is too short for me to tell about. And then he just starts listing some other giants of the faith. Time's too short to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms. All right, listen, by faith, the people of God conquered kingdoms. God gave them a land and vineyards they didn't plant, and homes they didn't build themselves, gave it over to them because they had faith and trust in God. They did the impossible because with God, all things are possible. What, what more did they do? Let's, let's take a look. He continues, um, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, right? We're all the way to Daniel now, shutting the mouth of lions, quenched the raging fires, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness. All right, I want you to notice a slight shift in what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. By faith, this initial list of all the things that were done are good things, like uh, victories they had. They had victories in military feats. They, they won land and, and conquered the promised land. All this by faith. But now he's about to shift a little bit. And, and he's about to, to teach something that's kind of a hard teaching, right? Because the Bible doesn't teach us that we have faith when we're having victories, but we have faith in all things. And so our faith has to be genuine, real, not self-serving, even when it means we're in difficulties of life, we're struggling in our life, we're, we're in the battles of life that we're not winning, it's then that faith has to be present as well. Remember, it's not a self-serving faith where when I'm getting everything I want, I'll trust you, God. It is a God-serving, God-glorifying faith that, that is truly pleasing to God. This is what these men and women demonstrated. And so when it says... Uh, 
gain strength in weakness. We're beginning to see a shift. Became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured. So I just want to make sure you see that there were all these wonderful things that God desires to do in the life of people. If God desires to raise the dead, he can certainly raise the dead even today. There's nothing preventing God from raising a dead person back to life if God so desires, if it's glorifying to God, if it's part of his uh, beautiful, majestic, and glorious plan. But God's not obligated to. Please don't get the wrong idea here. God, I believe God loves to bless his children. I believe God loves to, to bless people. But also believe there's times in our life where uh, bad things do happen to good people. Um, and, and so the writer of Hebrews isn't going to just look at all the positive things that have happened um, in the Old Testament and therefore saying all these people, man, they had great faith. Then somebody might come along and say, yeah, no wonder they had faith. I mean, you gave them land they didn't even, that didn't belong to them. You gave them vineyards they didn't even plant. You gave them fortified cities that they didn't build. No wonder they had faith. And so if the writer of Hebrews doesn't stop to bring our attention and remind us that in the Old Testament, there are also those who believed in God that suffered. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, prophets that were um, had to choose between their people accepting them or preaching the truth of God's prophecy to them, preaching God's word to them at the expense of their life. Many people, it's been recorded that the prophet Isaiah was placed into a hollowed out tree and sawed in half. Is this what Hebrews is talking about? I, don't, I mean, I can't say with 100% certainty that this is, um, is Isaiah. But, but what I do know with certainty is it says um, that some people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain better re a resurrection. Um, others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Man, this thing went from being just a great chapter to all of a sudden being kind of a downer, right? I mean, all through this chapter, we hear about God doing glorious things for his people because of the faith that they had. But all of a sudden, the writer of Hebrews now brings us back to the reality that every moment in life is not going to be a victorious moment. There are going to be times in our life where we lose people that are closest to us. I've talked to two people today who have lost family members or loved ones. I've talked to family members today who have basically been told it's only a matter of time and a short time at that before they lose their loved ones. Um, it's it's these kind of times that really measure our resolve and our faith. 
It's easy to have faith and trust God when everything's going good. But it has to be a genuine faith for us to be able, in the midst of disasters, to look up to God and to say, I trust you. I know that you're a good God, that you're a loving God, a merciful God, a just God. And I trust you even in the midst of the storms I'm facing. In verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. 38 says the world was not worthy of them. Think, think about that just a second. They demonstrated such an excellent faith in the midst of being mistreated and tortured and murdered. And God looks to them and says, to those people, this world was not good enough for them. The world was not worthy for them to be here. The man, the woman, the child who demonstrates genuine faith and trust in God when it seems like all the world is crumbling around them. According to God, there's only one place that's worthy of that person, and that is a city not built by human hands. Man, I just, listen, I don't, I don't want to go through these things. I, I do not want to be mistreated. I, I don't want to... Well, definitely, I don't want to be sawed in two. I, can we, I think we can all agree there, right? I don't want to be sawed in two. I don't want to be stoned. I don't want to be mocked. But what I have to understand is that the faith that's demonstrated in my life when I'm going through the midst of sorrows and troubles and loss of loved ones and, and uh, difficult times in my family or struggles in my own personal life or, or your personal life, that the faith that we demonstrate in those times are a true demonstration of the worth that we have. And our worth is not in who we are, but our, our worth is found in our position with God. And if you are right with God, you have a relationship with God, you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your position is in God. And no matter what this world brings your way, know that you are worthy of something better than this world. Your value is greater than anything that you can find on this side of eternity. And that there's somebody who loves you and cares for you, who knows you closer than a brother, and who will never leave you or forsake you, and that is your Savior, Jesus Christ, who's given you the very Holy Spirit of God, so that in times like these, you'll be able to demonstrate true, genuine faith and one day we stand before God, and maybe we would not only hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but maybe we might even hear when we stand before God, the world was not worthy of you. Not because of who I am, not because of what I did, but because of the faith been given to me by the grace of God that I might be able to stand worthy before God, but not in myself, in Christ Jesus and in my position of being in Christ. The world was not worried them, verse 38 says. They wandered in deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. 
All these were approved through their faith. It doesn't say through the law. It doesn't say through their sacrifices. All of these men and women were approved, were accepted, were acknowledged to be gods based on their faith. Now, what the law of God does, it serves the same purpose today as it did then. Now, we don't live under the moral, uh, I mean, excuse me, the ceremonial law of God. We don't take lambs down to the local temple to be slaughtered. Right? We don't do that. Why? Because the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ, came, became the sacrifice, and so that part of the law has been fulfilled. There are no longer need for ceremonial uh, ritual um, cleanings. Right? I don't need to offer a lamb for my sins for this past year. Christ already offered himself for my sins. But the moral law of God, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the moral law of how we should live and how we should act and how we should treat one another, it still stands. Now, what's the purpose of this law of God? It's to show us our need for a Savior. In the Old Testament, why was the law so important? It showed them their inability to live up to God's standards. Therefore, there must be something else they put their hope and trust in. And they put their faith in something they had yet seen, something that was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. We put our faith and trust in something that's already come, something that we look back and through hindsight we see what he did, the life that he lived and what history records and what God's word says about him. We put our faith and our trust in Christ because we have an inability to live up to God's standard. But God's law still stands. God's law is still important. God's law is still his moral um, rule, uh, I don't know, uh, God. It, it's his standards. And so when, when we look at what God requires or wants uh, of us, uh, we see clearly, man, we are fallible. We're not perfect. We mess up. We fall short. And it's why Jesus had to come. If we could have fulfilled the law of God, we would not be in need of a Savior. But because we cannot live out the law of God, we need Jesus, who fulfilled the law of God, who lived a life that did qualify as being righteous and pure and holy. And so that's why it's so important that our position be found in Christ. Our position is not in the law. Our position is not in do we keep these things? Do we have these rules? Can we check them off every day that we did these things? That's not the way our relationship with God works. Our relationship with God functions by the position we find ourselves in, and our position must be in Christ. And if I am in Christ, then I have a relationship with God, fellowship with God, communion with God. And it's what these people in the Old Testament had but here's, here's the thing. They had it by the same means. It was by faith through the grace of God that they were accounted righteous because of their faith. And somehow I think we've messed up. We've mixed some people up. And, and, and they think that the Old Testament was you, you just live by the law and, and that's you just kind of went through the motions. You did what the law said and you'd be right with God. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that it was by faith that these people were accounted righteousness. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. 
since God provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Make sure you see this. They put their faith and trust in God. Even though they had yet to see Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, God, who would come and die on our behalf. So they weren't given something before us. That's all, all, the, all the writer's saying is they didn't receive something in the Old Testament before we did in the New Testament. But they shared in what we received through Christ. Notice what it says, verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us, Jesus Christ, why? So that they would not be made perfect without us. And so they are perfected in the same way we are by faith. Faith in something they had yet to see. Faith that God would provide a substitute for them. Faith in God's word and his promise to them. And so my prayer for us is that we would be found faithful. We, we would be found as people who are seeking citizenship in a world that's not something we see, touch, feel, but it's something spiritually real and more real than the physical world in which we live in today. Because the physical world in which we live in today is fleeting and it will pass. But that which is eternal, that's what God's preparing for those who, who have put their faith and trust in him. And so my prayer for us would be we would be found faithful. That God would look at us and say, even in suffering, they were faithful. And, and when the saints of God suffer and remain faithful, according to Hebrews 11, this world's not worthy of those that belong to God. And that's according to God. That God looks on his saints and those who suffer faithfully, this world is not worthy of them. Man, that would be nice to hear when we stand before God. Not only good and faithful servant, but because of your faith, the world was not worthy of you. So we need to pray and ask God, God, help us with our faith. Maybe you're struggling with your faith. Maybe you're going through something. Maybe you see all that's going on around us in the world today. And that there's, um, oh man, everybody's got an idea about everything that's going on in the world today. That's another topic for another day. But with all that's going on, maybe we need to have our faith renewed. Maybe we need for God to um, uh, just speak to our hearts and our minds, to instill something within us that, maybe we've been struggling with, that we might be found faithful. And so that, that's my prayer. I think that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is really getting to the heart of, is God's plan for God's people has always been that they would be saved through faith by grace. And that even when they didn't know it, Jesus Christ would come and they would be perfected with us by faith, and through God's grace. I pray you have a wonderful rest of your week. I uh, look forward to uh, catching up with some of you soon. Uh, if you can be at church Sunday, we'd love to see you. If you can't, we understand. Catch us on Facebook. 
Um, I hope this study was uh, enlightening, and I pray that the Holy Spirit continue to speak to our hearts and our minds even after we finish. And if the study has um, uh, you know, been good for you and you know somebody that might just need to hear um, the word of Hebrews chapter 11, then, then I pray you share it with them. All right, God bless. Look forward to seeing you all soon.